Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 1 and 6 through 8, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verse 1 through 2a, and 29 through 32, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21 through 28, and Psalm 67. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There was a time when I was in a small group uh, back in the D.C., in D.C., uh, when I lived there, um, I was in a small group with a group of people, including the, con- the pastor of this congregation where I was uh, serving. And we would share during our small group, and this pastor, who was 92 years old at the time, would often begin by saying, you know, I'm only a young man, but he would then share his reflection. And we would all giggle, like, much like some of you did, sort of, except that he kept doing it. And as he would talk more and more, and as he would share his experience of God and share his experience of his faith uh, in the confines of that group, I came to realize that he was not actually kidding. He wasn't making a joke about his age um, and, and saying, oh, I'm still young. Or and he wasn't, by the way, saying, oh, I'm young at heart, and age is just a number. What I came to realize was that while 92 years is a ripe old age for a human on earth, it is infancy in the life of God. God, who is eternal and before all time, what's 92 years? And I don't think that he was just doing a, 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 a sort of a performative act of false humility in front of us. Oh, I'm just very young. What I realized was that he was orienting himself in the truth of his infancy in God's eyes. Because for him, that was a proper perspective on how to approach the whole conversation of his relationship with God. You, right now, as you are, Imagine for a moment that you are, in fact, only in your infancy when it comes to your understanding of the power of God's love in your life and the power of God's love in the life of this creation. Many of us, I'm only 44, and I already am starting to do the thing where I'm like, I don't want to learn that thing. Like, cars without drivers, I hope I die before it happens. Like, I'm already, I'm in my 40s, and I'm already picking the things that I don't want to learn, you know? And so many of you were like, I'll never get online, and then the pandemic happened, and you're like, fine, I'll learn Zoom. Like, but it's that, like, thing where we don't want, we're, like, already saying, I've learned enough, I'm old enough, I've gotten far enough, I'm done. I'd like to kind of coast a little bit. And yet, wherever you are in your life, whatever age you are, however close you are to the end of your life on this earth, you are still in your infancy when it comes to learning the power 
the magnificence of God's love. You are still just now learning new things and have the capacity to learn infinitely more about God's mercy. Even now, you, are, you haven't even met all of the people that you are going to love in this life. What a gift. I want to orient us in our infancy because we're reading this text from Paul. We've been studying this Romans text throughout the summer. We're, we're coming close to the end, friends, but today is a particularly difficult text because Paul is talking about our disobedience. And we hate talking about our disobedience. When I even say the word disobedience, I get this little feeling that I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I became an Episcopalian, so I wouldn't have to talk about disobedience. I used to be part of a different denomination, and we could talk about being disobedient all day long, and I could feel ashamed of myself for not getting it right. But I'm an Episcopalian, so I can believe whatever I want, right? There's no such thing as wrong anymore, right? With Episcopalians, as long as you don't say Merry Christmas during Advent, you're okay. I think that's about it. No, but for real, like I, I think that there's a part of us in our culture that we really resist and, and, and sort of resent even the language of disobedience. And I want to go even further and say we actually have no problem with the word disobedience. We just generally use disobedience not for adults. We use it for children. Children and dogs, really. That's about it. Dogs and children can be disobedience. Adults have free will. I'm a grown-up, and I believe in freedom. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to be obedient. We have that sense. So I want to orient us in our infancy. I want to orient us in the reality that we are just at the beginning of our understanding of God's power, of God's love, of God's presence in our lives. And I want you also to understand that that is not a bad thing. That is not an insult. To be a child is a gift. It is children such as these that Jesus himself says, show us the kingdom of God. The beauty of childhood is not innocence or perfection or naivete. The beauty of childhood is that we recognize so beautifully and without judgment that they are just at the beginning of learning the beauty of this world. So let us sit for a moment in our own childhood and recognize right now we have so much more to learn. And then we want to acknowledge something. We want to acknowledge our own disobedience, our own willfulness, and our own refusal, our own refusal to follow the rules that God has laid before us. Again, I know that this, I want you to recognize how that makes you feel. I know that, that, that it's got some charged language for you, for all of us, and it makes us tense. Maybe we've been abused by the word disobedience. We've seen religious figures who have equated obedience to them with obedience to God, and that's dangerous. Political figures who've done the same. Maybe we've been in relationships with people where they expected obedience from us and harmed us. So I don't want to suggest that all of our reticence around the language of disobedience is bad. I want us to understand what God seeks for us in obedience to God. 
Paul is coming from this life, from this narrative, in which God has made a covenant with his people. God has made a covenant with God's people, a, a shared relationship, a promise, a mutual relationship of promise. For us to be obedient to the promise that we have made with God, we are meant to orient ourselves such that we are meant to center love in our lives. Love is the center of our being. The reason for our existence and the purpose for all life is love, and we are meant to center love and mercy in our existence. Obedience to God is the decision to structure your life such that it reflects that kind of love and to create communities that are centered on that kind of love, equitable communities, just and merciful communities where all people are valued, loved, and cared for, all are in, all are gathered towards God. That is what obedience to God looks like. Obedience to God isn't about following a bunch of uh, very sort of strange rules that seem very particular and checking those boxes or else God will get mad at you and slap your wrists or worse. Obedience to God is about living into the purpose for your being. Obedience to God is about centering love. And disobedience to God, we say, oh, so if I'm disobedient to God, God's going to punish me? I thought God was merciful. I thought God was forgiving. I thought God loved me no matter what. Maybe we are still in our infancy when we think like that. Because every single one of us here knows that our actions have consequences. Every single person here understands that in the relationships of your lives, the way you act in that relationship has consequences. If you act with love and kindness towards someone else, you experience something in that relationship that is beautiful. If you are unkind and abusive and neglectful to a friendship, to a loved one, you experience the consequences of that, do you not? If we build communities that are centered on the belonging of all people, we are able to experience those consequences and they look like justice. And when we build communities that are based on uh, privilege and greed, we experience the consequences of that as well. The idea that we would experience the consequences of our actions scares us. Scares us. It's why we're not able to think critically very often about our own lives or the life maybe even of this country as we think about the history of this country. If you start to think critically and rethink your understanding of what this place is, People will say, I have said, oh, well, that's unpatriotic, that's unloving. And if you start to think critically of yourself and try to think carefully about where are the places where I have made mistakes, where are the places where I have not lived into the glory of God, into the love for which I was made, I get sort of resistant and scared. Do you know what that feels like? You don't want to address some of the ways you've fallen short? You know why, right? We are afraid of what it means for us. We would rather never admit we were wrong because we are afraid of what it means for us. What kind of people we will be if we acknowledge 
the truth of the actions of ours that are unloving, unkind, unjust. I'm from Southern California. I'm from Orange County, California, which right now as we speak is preparing for a hurricane. A hurricane? Flooding. And I'm scared, you know, for some of my family. And we're in the midst of what is so clearly radical, radical change in our weather, in our climate, and we're all seeing it, every single one of us. And like, by, for some reason, for ideological reasons, we're still deeply resistant to the possibility that we have anything to do with this, even while it's harming us. We don't like to admit it when we're wrong, any of us, because of what we're afraid it means about us. And this is why it is essential we understand what Paul says today in his letter to the Romans. He says that God's gifts and God's calling are irrevocable. God's gift and God's calling are irrevocable. This means that God is not giving up on us even when we give up on ourselves, even when we give up on others, even when we give up on our relationship with God and pretend that love is not the center of our lives. God centers love God is faithful and will not let us go. We have to understand that because Paul knows what we sometimes forget, which is that we cannot save ourselves, but God will continue to save us. We cannot always hold on perfectly, but God will hold on to us. We aren't always obedient to the commandment of love, and we do not always center love in our lives, but God always centers love, and God is always obedient. Yes, God seeks obedience. God has promised to be obedient to the commandment of love, God's self. God has promised to hold on to us no matter what. We are afraid of admitting when we're wrong. We are afraid of repenting, and we are afraid of even acknowledging our own disobedience because of what it will mean about us. But God is not worried about what it means about us. God is too busy loving us, healing us, seeking our recovery, our reconciliation. God is working faithfully and diligently in your life, centering love and mercy even when we don't. We are children. This is a gift, a blessing. We have the freedom right now to say we are only at the beginning. We are just now starting to learn about just how faithful God is to us. You, every single one of you, you are at the beginning of eternity. Because that's how long it will take eternity for you to fully grasp how deeply, how powerfully you are loved. How magnificent 
and how gracious God's faith is in you. In Jesus' name.